All right, take your Bibles and open to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. A couple of weeks ago, the Sunday before Mother's Day, we finished the first section there of of chapter 4, which consisted of verses 2 through 9. In verses 2 and 3 of that section, we saw that there was an issue of some kind between two women in the church. Something between them that was causing division that seemed to be slipping little by little into the church as a whole. Now, as many of you know, these kinds of issues can expand to the whole church if things are not dealt with correctly, which of course is why I'm sure Paul had written this and even mentioned names in this letter to get things dealt with properly. Well, starting in verse 4, I believe Paul began to deal with the effect that this problem might be having amongst the believers in the church. How do we deal with issues? How do we deal with attitudes when these kinds of struggles come up? And therefore, Paul gives guidance to the church in the following verses. I'm just going to make this short and simple, but verse 4 Despite what is happening around you or to you, he's saying here, even if you feel that something might be affecting you or maybe affecting the church as a whole, he says your outlook on this doesn't need to change. Okay? What does he say there in verse 4? He says, always rejoice in the Lord. Or flip it around. Rejoice in the Lord always. In other words, it doesn't matter what's happening. It doesn't matter what's taking place. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It should not affect your joy that you have in Christ. Circumstances deal with happiness. Joy should be something you have all the time in Christ. Verse 5, he says, Let your gentleness, or you can also say your gentle spirit, let your gentle spirit be known to all. Now, that word gentle spirit is talking about enduring mistreatment without retaliation. That goes against the grain for some of us, doesn't it? (laughs) Enduring mistreatment without retaliation, okay? When things get difficult, when things get ugly, it may be even like what's going on here in verses 2 and 3. What's important is how we handle it. What's important is how we respond, I believe this is a huge issue, a a struggling issue in the church today. You may have the right doctrine, you may go to a great church, your your theology may be sound, but when anything hits that, when anything, a struggle comes along, a trial comes along, some yahoo comes along, we don't handle it very well, and that's a problem. You see, folks, anybody can act like a jerk. Anybody can do that. It's easy to to think about how you can throw a verbal bomb right back at someone, but that's only going to prove that you're no different than they are. You're just the same. And so he says, let everyone see your gentle spirit. Let everyone see your non-retaliatory spirit. And then in verse 6, a well-known verse When everything seems to be on fire around you, maybe like verses 2 and 3, once again, coming off that as the majority of the text there, when there's something going on, there's some struggle, it's it's hitting way close to home, 
It seems like you're worried all the time. It seems like you're stressed all the time. Paul says what? Paul says, be prayerful instead of being anxious. Take advantage, he's saying here, of the access that we have to the living Lord of the universe. And then finally, in our last time here in verse 4, we spent all of that time looking at verses 8 and 9. Let me read those real quick again. He says, finally, because this is where he ends this short section, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or even seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. As I mentioned during our time in these verses, a key word here in this section is the word think, or maybe you might have the word focus or dwell, right? Dwell on these things. That's very important. He's saying, don't allow trials, don't allow difficulties, life's struggles to bring you down. Okay, God has a plan in every circumstance. It's for your benefit, and it's for his glory. Okay? Therefore, you see things like think, dwell on these things. Now, there's a couple important points that I want to remind us of. Number one is that I want you to remember that all the words that Paul uses here in verse 8, okay, are to have a biblical basis. Okay? In other words, God doesn't care what the world thinks is true. When he says dwell on whatever is true, he doesn't care what the world thinks is true. He doesn't care what society thinks is noble or what your culture believes is, is pure. Okay? This isn't a generic statement. God wants us to be spiritually stable in struggling times. Okay? So he tells us that everything we dwell on must be a biblical principle. As I said last time, there's all kinds of things that are true or right, but we don't need to dwell on them. We don't need to focus on them, right? But on those biblical issues that are noble, what does God think is pure, right? Those are the things that we need to focus on. And then lastly, number two, don't simply dwell on these things so you can raise your hand and say, I know the answer, okay? Don't, uh, don't try to impress your friends to say, hey, there's a Bible category on Jeopardy and I know all the answers. That is not your goal, okay? To dwell here is to the point that it transforms your life. You focus on these things as it begins to change you, okay? You see that in verse 9. Verse 9 speaks of doing what? Putting these things into practice. Did you see that? So he goes from dwelling on them to putting them into practice. As you know, folks, what we think, what we dwell on, what we focus on should have an effect on how you live, doesn't it? Absolutely, right? You've heard the old adage, garbage in, garbage out. You get God's word in, you're going to get life-transforming things out of you, okay? What we pour into ourselves is what is going to be coming, coming out. And therefore, he begins here with dwelling and then he ends with doing, okay? That is how he says we should allow these things to affect our life.
All right. Well, this morning we're going to begin and end the final section of this great letter that Paul has written to the church in Philippi. And being that all of these verses revolve around mostly one single subject matter, I think we're going to be able to finish up this chapter and this book this morning. And so let's begin by reading verses 10 through 20. Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it's like to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now beginning in this first part here, looking at verses 10 through 13, we see two things that are going on here. We see Paul being thankful to the Philippian church for their generosity. And secondly, an important point that Paul has made push forward, and that is contentment. Contentment. Read with me verse 10 as we begin this section. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you, that's the Philippian church, you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, even though this verse does not uh, mention money or financial provision, uh, we do know from the rest of the text that outside maybe clothes, outside maybe some other necessities for Paul's ministry, that uh, financial means is the primary focus, is what he is he is talking about here. And so on this issue, Paul says what? He says that he is thankful. He says that he is rejoicing that the church has not lost their concern for him. And folks, as we know today, we use that term out of sight, out of mind, right? And there's a lot of truth to that. We don't, think, we don't see it, we don't think about it, we don't focus on it, right? But it wasn't that way for the Philippian church, Paul knows that they have been thinking about him, and they wanted to show it, but you'll notice there in verse 10, it says they had no opportunity. 
Now, when looking at that, we don't really know the specifics of that statement. What does he mean we had no opportunity? Was it because they were poor? Well, we certainly know they were dirt poor. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, he even tells, he uses the words extreme poverty to explain these churches in Macedonia. So no, no doubt they were poor. Or was it because they had no one to deliver? Maybe they didn't have a messenger at that point. Or maybe when it says they were lacking the opportunity, it meant they didn't know where Paul was. I mean, as you know, Paul went from city to city, right, to almost uh, country, if you will, to another city, and then, of course, to where he is now. And as you know now, he's in Rome as he's being held, he's incarcerated. So it's possible that they may not know where he was either. But whatever it was that was stopping them from giving, it did not mean that they forgot about Paul. Their concern for him always remained, and therefore, when they were able, they were able to give their gifts by sending Epaphroditus to them, which we'll see that, of course, in verse 18. But before we move into uh, verse 11 from there, I just want to point out one thing here in verse 10, and that is who Paul thanked, okay? Beginning in verse 10, he says what? I greatly rejoice, what does he say, church? In the Lord. Did you notice that? Even though the gift had come from the Philippian church, Paul says he rejoiced in the Lord as if it was he who was the source of the gift, all right? As if he was the one who provided it and simply directed them to give it. And the first thing I thought of was in James chapter 1, verse 17, he says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Okay? You might say it simply filters through the hand of God. And this, I believe, and the reason I wanted to point this out is this is a great reminder to all of us to always give thanks to Him. He may use somebody else. There's nothing wrong with thanking the Philippians. But ultimately, our thanks for whatever it may be is to go to the Lord because He is the provider ultimately. And so it's important that uh, we see that. Now, from there, as we move into verse 11, as you know, Paul just stated that he rejoiced uh, that this giving had taken place. But he now wants to make sure that there's no misunderstanding in his statement. He doesn't want them to think that the satisfaction of the material need is the reason for his joy. Okay? Or you might say he doesn't want them to think that the joy is coming from a growing bank account. He doesn't want them to think that's the key. And therefore, he begins here in verse 11 by saying, not that I'm saying this because I'm in need. So he makes a statement. He says, hold on, I don't want you to think weird about me. Okay? I'm not saying this because I'm in need. In other words, even if he did have a need, and I'm sure Paul did have a need, but he says, the last thing I want you to think about is that my focus was on earthly means, okay? Paul wanted, uh, Paul wasn't one, you know, to yell woo-hoo because he got a bonus check. Hey, look at that. He wasn't the one to say, woo, more money. That, 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 wasn't, that wasn't Paul's thing. Matter of fact, it was on the contrary 
He wants to point out that he's just fine no matter what happens. No matter what the gift was, that's fine, that's great. I am appreciative, okay? But that's not how he focused. Look at the second half of verse 11 and going into verse 12. Paul says, for uh, I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, the most obvious point that Paul is making here is that no matter how much he has or how little he has, he has learned to be content. Okay? In other words, if he has very little, he's not freaking out over it. If he has a whole lot, he's not going, man, look at all that money I got in my bank account. He says, I'm content. You might say he's just straight-lined. I'm okay either way. I'm fine with it. I can do with whatever the Lord has provided, okay? Now, this word content that we see here, even though you'll notice it's used twice, once in verse 11, the other in verse 12, they're actually two different Greek words, okay? The first one in verse 11 where Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances is to say here that he is possessing enough okay, so as to not need aid or support. He's content with what he has, you might want to put it that way. Okay? He's not dependent on others. I can work with whatever the Lord has provided with me. It's kind of where he's going with that. Now, the word content there in verse 12 he says, I have learned the secret of being content. If you have the, the NAS, it says the word filled instead of the word content. But it means to be satisfied. It means to have enough. I think sometimes that's how we would usually use the word. I'm satisfied. I'm content. The Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs says this. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of mind which freely submits to God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, you are accepting of whatever the Lord has chosen to give you. It's his wise, fatherly disposal Okay, in every condition, whatever it is, whatever the situation, you're fine with whatever the Lord has given. Okay? You might put it this way. Whatever life's circumstances, you are in full acceptance of where you're at. However it is the Lord has given you or whatever it is, that's fine. You know that's what God's will is. That's what he chose to give to you. And you're willing to accept and work with whatever that may be. Now, the main problem today is that contentment is something that is sorely lacking in the church. Okay? As I've said many times over the years, uh, I've thought about how, how people who, let's just say you make, I'm just going to make up an amount of money, you make 40000 a year, you live in a, a small three-bedroom, two-bath ranch home, you have a car, it's 10 years old, runs fine, no problems, your house is fine, it's not too small, it provides everything you need, gives you a good, safe place to live. 
But for some reason, so many believers, they think whenever they get that raise, that, that bonus, that um, uh, they're now in management, if you will, that all of a sudden are not content. Well, I have more money now. Now I make 50000 a year. We need to sell the house and buy one bigger. We need to get a new car. We need to do this and go that. But well, wait a minute, but you were just fine and dandy with what you have. You lived fine. You ate fine. Right? Your car was fine. Nothing's wrong with it. But they feel you always have to have more instead of simply being content. I mean, you can, it's great that God provided you the money. Maybe you need an emergency account. Maybe you need to provide for your child's uh, college one day or your, all those children one day. Whatever it may be, but, it, but all of a sudden people think they have more. They have to have more. They have to spend more. And Christians have a problem with that today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, Timothy here is, or Paul, I'm sorry, Paul is speaking uh, about the false teachers as they believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. Okay, that's the context. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Not money. Godliness with contentment, that, he says, is great gain. Two verses later, he says, if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. In other words, it's almost like saying God's providing for your basic needs. God never promised you to have all this stuff. He says, if we have this and this, we'll be, we're content with that. See? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, he says something similar. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Now, both of these verses are obviously speaking here um, with money, okay? As you know, money buys us stuff, right? It buys whatever that stuff may be in your life, money buys us stuff. Most of us have stuff. We probably have stuff we don't use very often, right? We just have stuff, okay? The problem is that we can't, we struggle to see the difference between a need and a want. I have more money. I have more of this. I want that. No, is that a sin? No, but it, it's a mindset on how we are to live, see? I want that. So, do we need that? Is it important? Are we content without it? Once again, doesn't mean you can't have fun, doesn't mean you can't buy this or that to, to enjoy or whatever in life, but there, there's, a, there's an, a, a balance that needs to be there. We have to, we have to be able to discern a need from a want, and we don't seem to do that very well. Now, according to this passage that we're in, Paul seemed... To figure it out. He knew that the chief end of man is not to have his wish list fulfilled. Everybody has this wish list. His goal in life was not to have that fulfilled. He knew that the chief end of man was to what? Glorify God and serve him only. And don't forget, by the way, that Paul says this. He writes this where? He's, being, he's incarcerated right now, being held in Rome. He's chained to a Roman soldier when he's writing this. And he's saying, 
I'm content. Think about that one for a second. I am content. Well, now that you know the context that we're talking about here, let's quickly look at verse 13, which is no doubt one of the most abused scriptures that's being used today. Many of you know it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I don't want to spend all my time this morning talking about all the twisted ways that that Christians use this scripture. So let's just see how Paul brought it up. That's the most important thing, right? It's very easy to do, by the way. I'm just going to go back and I'm going to read verses 11 and then I'm going to read verse 12 and then I'm going to see what it says and how it applies to verse 13. Okay? What does he say? Go back. Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is like to be in need. I also know what it's like to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, whether I'm living in plenty or I'm living in want. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Are we getting where we're going with this verse? Yeah? Folks, you do not leave the context, okay, and turn the word all, right? I can do all things. You don't leave the context and turn the word all into whatever you want it to mean. This is the word of God for Pete's sake. This isn't some book you grabbed off the shelf somewhere. This is not, I'm going to win the race, I'm going to win the 400-yard dash through God who gives me strength. Right? How many times have we heard all of these, these things? I'm going to do through God who gives me strength. I'm going to jump off my roof and fly. What's next? Through God who gives me strength. Sadly, there are so-called Bible teachers out there, and I've heard them with my own ears, who like to quote this cute little phrase. All, the word all, all means all, and that's all all means. The word all, they're saying, means all, and that's, and that's all it means. Folks, that is utter nonsense. This is somebody who flunked out of hermeneutics 101. And yet somehow they're telling other people what the word all means. Okay? Folks, here's, here's how you look at the word all. As always, Seth mentioned it this morning, you look at the context. When you see the word all, it doesn't just mean all because that's all all means. The context says it, it, might, be, uh, it might be all of the Roman soldiers. It might be all of the Gentiles in the temple. Right? It might be all of the Pharisees who were listening to Jesus. It just depends on who it's talking about. That's the all. The word all, like any word, is dependent on the context of which it is used. So when people throw this junk out, Olympians and whoever else is what they're doing, out there, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Go to the context. I just get tired of people abusing the Word of God. 
All things in this text is talking about whether Paul, he, what does he say? Is whether he is in need or want, right? Need or has plenty. Whether he's well fed or whether he's hungry. Whether he's living in plenty or is living in want. That's exactly what verses 11 and 12 say. That's what he's talking about. Paul is saying that he can be dirt poor or wealthy. And, and he's, he's just fine either way. It doesn't matter. No, this is not an, an arrogant statement because he says he does it through Christ who gives him strength. Now, I believe a part of that strength is God leading him to a point where it doesn't matter. In other words, Paul's focus wasn't on wealth. It wasn't on worldly possessions. It wasn't on, ooh, I got a bonus check. What can I buy now? That was never his focus. Paul was preoccupied with the lives of others. Unlike today, he didn't have to, to live in a prestigious neighborhood. He didn't have to have a brand new car. He didn't have to present himself as living in the upper class. Those things didn't matter to him because his focus was spiritual. It was not material. See? And that way, when, when, whether he was in plenty or in need, it didn't matter because that's not where his focus is. That's what I have. That's what I live with. That's what I deal with. That's how I serve the Lord because that's not my focus. I'm sure it's nice to have extra you can do this, give to them, serve them, help them. That's fine, but Paul says that's not what it's about. It's about that heart attitude. It's about that mindset that says, I don't focus on that. Paul's focus was spiritual, see. He would rather be content with little and be rich in Christ. He's okay, if you will, as being socially poor, what we would think of a poor guy out and about. He's okay with looking that way as long as he's fulfilling the reason God has him on this earth. And therefore, he's, he's content because he knows God's behind it. He knows whatever the Lord's provided. God felt I was okay with that, then I will work with that. Because my goal isn't, boy, I hope I get another big gift to him because I really like the new car. He didn't care. I think of 2 Corinthians 12. You can turn there if you want. But 2 Corinthians 12, many of you know this. Uh, starting in verse 7, I believe. Come on, get there. Paul says, To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, he didn't, he, this isn't written, but he says, no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Listen, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. See? I like the quote, the truly powerful Christian is the one who has come to his end of all human resources. Then the power of God is released. I'm not relying upon all of that. I'm not focused on that anymore. 
it, and that's when the power of God is going to work through this person because he's not dependent upon anything else now. See? Because Paul is satisfied with having little. And he can live just fine of, uh, or I mean, maybe I should say independent of his circumstances. His assurance, his confidence is in the power of the Lord. It's not focused on the money. It's not focused on the gifts he received. It's not focused on the, oh, cool, I got another check. Because he's content. He's satisfied with whatever it is. All right. Moving now into verses 14 through 20. Just like in the previous section, I believe there are two important points here. Number one, once again, you see Paul as being thankful, if not actually praising the Philippian church for their generous provision. And number two, which is something you might not see as a church, but, but how Paul, as a shepherd, is personally blessed by what God is doing in the hearts of this church. It's like a proud dad, you know? Paul started this church. He sees what they're doing. He's just proud. He's seeing what these people are doing. It's like that shepherd. It's like, yes, God is using these people. And I think we see that here as well. And so beginning in verse 14, now even with Paul being content and not necessarily looking for any gifts, look what he says. He says, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And so once again, Paul doesn't want any misunderstanding, which is why he begins the way he does, okay? Even though Paul did not look for the gifts, even though he is just fine, he is content with what he currently has, he wants them to know how grateful he was for them to think of him, okay? It's important he say that. In other words, his focus wasn't as much on the actual gift, but his focus was on their willingness to share it. You see, usually when somebody gets a gift, oh, man, I'm so grateful. Oh, I can do so much with this gift. Thank you so much. Wow, this is powerful. Wow, this is awesome. Paul says, I, no, I, I, I'm focused on you as the giver, not the actual gift in return, okay? To put it another way, Paul didn't sit around going, yes, I got another check in the mail. He was more blessed to be thinking of the people who gave it. Matter of fact, he reminds the same people here in verses 15 and 16 of how faithful they have been. Look what he says. He says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So just a brief context here. Uh, Macedonia, there are three churches, by the way, in Macedonia. Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Okay? Paul went to each of those while he was sharing the gospel. And, of course, he was starting churches in each city. Now, once he had left Berea, he then had left Macedonia. It's kind of like looking at a country, right? Or a section. So once he had left Berea, he then left Macedonia, and then, of course, he went on to Athens, Greece. But here in verse 15, Paul is dropping back in time about 10 years 
okay? When he first shared the gospel with the people of Philippi, it's about 10 years ago, you'll find that in Acts chapter 16, okay? He then left Philippi, went about 100 miles or so, and ended up in Thessalonica. You'll see that at the beginning of Acts chapter 17, okay? Still in that chapter, he then went on and moved to Berea. So he went from Philippi to Thessalonica and to Berea. Here in verses 15 and 16, even though, as you can see, the, the, the Philippians were still young in the faith, right? Did you see that? As you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, these are new believers here. Paul had just shared the gospel with them. Very little time since after they came to faith in Christ. But he says they were still young in their faith, but Paul says, yet they still sent gifts to him, money, if you will, when he was leaving Macedonia, right? Well, that was after he had left Berea and went into Athens. They still sent him aid. So Paul was in Philippi, shared the gospel. The church got started. You remember Lydia? Lydia was a part of that group, right? Left there, Thessalonica, left there, Berea. And when you go back, he wasn't there that long because little... Uh, issues started. He wasn't there that long, and then he left Macedonia. And he says when he left Macedonia, he said they sent him gifts. This very young church, new believers, sent him gifts. And then he backs up, and he says, matter of fact, even when I was in Thessalonica, he backed up a little bit. He says, which is right after he left Philippi, even while there, he says they sent him aid again and again. Very seldom, folks, you see a church of brand new Christians saying, you know what, this guy has given us a message that's changed our life. We need to make sure he gets out there. We need to support him. At that specific time, he says they were the only church to do that. Doesn't mean for all time he was the only church, but at that time, no other church had supported Paul except the Philippians. Okay? And that was right after it started, and they were willing to meet Paul's needs. Obviously, he's very thankful to them for what they've done. But as he goes into verse 17, he wants them to know that his focus is not on himself. I mentioned this earlier. His focus is not on himself. In other words, it wasn't about receiving the gift as much as the giver of the gift. Look at verse 17. Paul says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but what I'm looking for, he says, is for what may be credited to your account. Okay? Now listen, there's no question that Paul is blessed that these people are still thinking about him. He is absolutely much appreciative of the gift that he has just received from them, which you'll see that in verse 18, right? He's very appreciative of the money they had sent. But his focus is so much on the giver, the Philippian church, he's not thinking of how blessed he is with their gift. Wow, how awesome this is to have this money. He's thinking of them being blessed for faithfully giving it. See? Because why? Because Paul can be content either way. Right? He already told us that. So his focus is on them. I want you to be the blessed one because you have chosen to give to me. Even though I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm the attention. I'm the one getting the gift. 
No, I, I, I want the blessing to be on you, he says, right? What does he say? He speaks of what is credited to their account is the words that he uses there. I like how the, the New Living Translation phrases it. He says, I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. It speaks very simply there. It's like Paul is saying, I want you to get a deposit in, in your spiritual account. Do you see what I'm saying? That's what he wants. I think of Matthew chapter 6. Even though these people were lacking treasures on earth, right? They were still storing up for themselves treasures in heaven. See? Unlike the so-called evangelists today, uh, very heavy on the word so-called Paul wasn't concerned with lining his own pockets. That's all people worry about today. Give me money, give me money, give me. Paul wasn't concerned about that. He wanted the credit to go to them by God. That they were willing to support him. They were willing to give. And folks, remember, this is very important. They didn't have much money. They barely had any. They were very poor people. Well, speaking now about the gift itself, you see it in verse 18. Paul says, I have received full payment and even more. He says, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So basically, Paul is just saying, look at, I, I, I've received your gift that you have sent from your messenger, whom we all know as Epaphroditus, okay? They didn't have Amazon back then. They didn't deliver on Sundays. They had to send somebody to hoof it across the mountains and say, here it is, okay? So he has received their gifts. Now, Paul begins here with three things, he says, three things about this gift, Number one, he says, I have received full payment. This is almost like today we would write a receipt. I received $4,000, here you go, right? Paul says, I've received full payment. He's acknowledging the gift that they had sent. Number two, uh, here it says in the NIV, and even more. That's actually only one word in the Greek, and it means to abound. It means to overflow, or it means to have surplus, okay? It's like saying the amount that you have given to me is truly sacrificial. It's more than I could have ever asked for. See, that's that word abound, see? And then lastly, he says, I am amply supplied. That word simply means to be full. I'm full. I'm filled, if you will. All of this is saying to the Philippians, you know, look at guys, I I'm speechless. I am in awe of your generosity. I'm in awe of the fact that you found me, you're sending gifts to me, you're blessing me the way that you are. And then he says, still in verse 18, he says, they, meaning the gifts, are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Usually when you see those kinds of words, you typically see them in the Old Testament, okay? 
But Paul was saying that this gift from this church was a sacrificial act of worship on their part. When you go back to the Old Testament, you think of that fragrant offering to the Lord is what he says. It's pleasing to God, Paul says. This is a sacrificial act of worship on their part. This is much more than Paul simply saying, hey, thanks, I appreciate it. This is Paul saying that you have gone beyond, that you have literally pleased the Lord himself. You have honored him by providing for me. And which ultimately that should be the fact anyway, right? We do things because of God. We do things to honor him. You know, I might honor him by doing something for you, but my goal is to honor him. And Paul says, you have done just that. And therefore, Paul declares in verses 19 and 20 that they will be blessed. He says, My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Unlike these phony pastors, and there are Jeez, I can't tell you how many there are on TV who, who preach this whole give to get, right? You should give because God's going to give you tons of money in return. This is what the nonsense that they preach, okay? Unlike with the people who listen to that, the Philippians were not manipulated. They were dirt poor. Remember what I said earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8? It says the churches of Macedonia, it says they were in, listen, extreme poverty. <laughs> he didn't say they, they, they made a little bit less than you did. He said they were in extreme poverty. So these people were dirt poor, and they gave because they wanted to give. They gave because they wanted to see the gospel spread and lives change. They had theirs changed. They experienced when Paul came to their area, shared the gospel. They literally sat there and watched the lives of people change with the, with the glorious message of Jesus Christ. And they said, we want that to continue. This isn't a gift to Paul. Uh, here, thanks, buddy. Here, put this in your pocket. Go buy yourself a hamburger. This is so you can use to bless others in what you're doing, which is what Paul did. City to city to city to city to city until he got arrested, of course. But that's what they wanted. Paul believed that because of the sincerity of their giving, even while impoverished, that God would not only give to their spiritual account, which we mentioned that in verse 17, but also that he would provide for him while they were on this earth. He didn't say he would make them rich. God says, Paul says that God would meet their needs. Needs. I'm guessing, folks, that these people gave more than they could afford. I can almost guarantee you that. Okay? They gave out of what they had to live on. And therefore, because of their heart, Paul is saying, God will take care of you. They're not giving to get something in return. They're not paying ahead so somebody will get something back. And because their heart was was such, because they had very little to have or to eat on, he's saying, God will meet your needs. Because probably because they're taking part of their money for their own needs and giving it to Paul. 
He's saying God's going to bless you and that. God will meet your needs that you've chosen to do that. And therefore, for the gifts that Paul had received, as well as for how God would meet the needs of the Philippian church, what does Paul say in verse 20? To our God and Father be the glory. God gets the glory for what you have done. God gets the glory for what I have received. See? Then Paul closes this letter in verses 21 through 23, and he simply says, Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus, if you will. Tell everybody I said hi. The brothers who are with me send greetings. Remember Paul was being held? Go back to Acts 28. They did allow people to come see Paul, right? So there were brothers in Christ who were there. The brothers who are with me, they send their greetings to you. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. I talked about this early on. Paul was being held by Rome, right? Paul was also chained to Roman soldiers. They were part of Caesar's household. Whoever Paul's chained to, do you think they're going to hear the gospel? <laughs> Whenever Paul prayed, do you think he was going to pray mentioning the gospel? You're darn right. When he says here that people are greeting you from Caesar's household, that's saying to me these are people that Paul has shared Christ and they have come to faith in Christ. People, Paul's having an effect even being there in this area incarcerated. And then he lastly says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And that's the end of the book of Philippians. You know, there's a lot that is said um, here in this part. How Paul is blessed with the gift, and of course, more so, how Paul wants the giver to be blessed. Because they're not giving out of manipulation. They're not giving so I can get something back. They're giving because they, want, they actually want to see ministry happen. And so they're willing to give up some of their own funds, even being as poor as they were. It's like saying, you know what? I only have enough food for four days, but you know what? I, I'm willing to give up half of that. Let's just say it's in monetary to, to give to Paul. We'll, we'll figure it out for the rest of our days. So it wasn't, they weren't manipulated. They didn't want something in return. They just wanted to give. That's the heart of these people. And that's why Paul is that proud shepherd. How awesome is that? It's like seeing your son say, you know what? Hey, mom and dad, I want to go serve in Mexico. I want to go serve. It's like, oh, yes. You know, and Paul is that, that proud shepherd who went there, who preached the gospel, who started this church, and now he's seeing what they're already doing. But yet going back, of course, as Paul does, which is a key part of this section, is that Paul is content either way. Paul says, whether I'm looking at my bank account and saying I got 20 bucks or 500 bucks, I, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to do what I do with what the Lord has provided me. I'm satisfied. I'm full, as he says. See? That's something we all need to remember ourselves and apply that where it needs to be applied. It doesn't mean that you can't make good money or anything else of that nature. It's the principle that we're looking at. It's the principle of being content, of being satisfied with how the Lord provides. Whether I have... That, that very little bit, I'm not going to be griping, screaming, yelling, moaning, groaning, why God, why God, why God? Or if I have all this money over here, I'm not going to say, man, how can I spend it? Woo, where can I go next? 
it doesn't matter which where he's at. He's just, I'm content. I'm straight lined. It's, it's okay either way. I don't get excited here. I don't get worried here. I'm content. Which is an attitude that we all probably can do better with. And God wants the, uh, Paul wants the, the glory to go to the Lord, which as I remember I uh, said earlier, is very important. Always give the glory to the Lord. Always thank the Lord for what's happening. It doesn't mean you can't thank the person or the people or the group or whatever's going on, but thank the Lord for what he's doing through people to you and blessing you, whatever it may be. Because everything filters through the hand of God and the fact that you are a child of God, it's his provision. We should always, always go back to thank the Lord. So, but with that, let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that we can finish this section today and, and look and see uh, what took place. And Lord, look at the fruit of Paul's labor of simply going to a place where there wasn't any church. There wasn't even any synagogue, if I remember correctly. They were actually down by the river because there was more women. There weren't men to even start the synagogue. But yet people came to faith in Christ. Lord, people learned. Hearts were changed to the point that they started to support the Apostle Paul, even though the word impoverished probably isn't even a strong enough word for them. But that truly shows the heart, the tr- maybe I should say the transformed heart of what you can do in people. And Lord, it's great to see, a great reminder to all of us, the contentment that Paul had because his focus wasn't on the physical, it was on the spiritual. And he would just do with whatever he had because he looked to you. And if you decided to give him this little bit, then that's what he has. And if he, he has a lot, he's not changing anything. He's just, he's settled in where you have him. And I pray that that would be a great reminder to every one of us here today uh, and how we use things or how we buy things or how our money is funneled. Uh, remind us, Lord, to have that heart of satisfaction, that heart of contentment because we live in a world today uh, where we're always chasing after the Joneses. How do I keep up with the Joneses as we always say? And so, Lord, help us not to uh, compare ourselves with others and how they spend money or how they do, but to look to you and make sure our focus is the spiritual, not necessarily uh, the physical. And, Lord, as always, you get all the glory. We thank you, Lord, for what you give to each and every one of us. We thank you, Lord, how you provide for this church. I thank you, Lord, that there's not a person in this room right now who hasn't been blessed in some way. As I've said many, many times, we all woke up this morning uh, in a warm bed. We probably had something... Uh, to eat. We put on clothes. We had a roof over our head. We hopped in our car and we drove here. Um, Lord, you have met our needs and we are very grateful to that. And we thank you for providing in this day, especially when we live in a world where there are millions and millions of people who don't have simple things that we take advantage of every day. Thank you, Lord, for your blessings in Jesus' name.